Hi everybody, I'm Peter Jacobson, and welcome to Jake's Takes. A couple of weeks ago, the PGA Tour Champions Tour restarted up in Flint, Michigan at the Ally Challenge at Warwick Hills Golf Club, and that holds special significance for me because 40 years ago, I won the Buick Open for my first win on the PGA Tour, 1980. My daughter Amy was one month old, and my wife Jan and Amy were in attendance. In fact, interesting story, when I was at the presentation on the 18th green getting the trophy and the check, my wife had just nursed Amy, and while I was holding her, she threw up all over my shoulder and down my back. So uh, that's the reality of uh, of being a father and uh, I think she was reminding me not to get too carried away with myself for winning my first event, but it was pretty interesting. The PJ Tour does a wonderful job in testing for COVID-19. Everybody was wearing masks. We were in the PGA Tour bubble, so to speak. Uh, I was tested. I got my, uh, my test on Tuesday where uh, they shove that little wooden stick down your throat all the way to your Feels like it goes all the way down into your stomach, but they took a test. I was negative, so I had a chance to enter the bubble and start practicing. Uh, first big congrats to Jim Furyk and Mike Cowan on their win. That's Jim's first win on the PGA Tour Champions Tour, and it was uh, Fluff's win 40 years later uh, on Warwick Hills, and that was fun. We had a chance to talk to each other after the round, but I struggled so much. I played horribly. I shot 78, 79, and 80 in my return to the Champions Tour. I was totally unprepared for that week. And it's funny, it brings back memories of a song I wrote and a duet I did with the late, great Glenn Fry of the Eagles. Glenn wrote a song years ago called Smuggler's Blues. You might remember it. And I rewrote the lyrics to that song and called it Struggler's Blues. And I lived the Struggler's Blues that week at Warwick Hills, I thought it'd be kind of fun to play a little snippet of that song in memory of my horrible tournament at the Ally Challenge and in memory of our great friend, Glenn Fry of the Eagles. So alone, it's awfully important. It's such a big deal. 
just to make a birdie, man, I beg, borrow, steal. If you've never been there, you don't know how I feel. I see its shadow all around me, and there's nothing I can do. It's the ultimate embarrassment, it's the struggler's blues. Struggler's That was a song we did as Jake Trout and the Flounders back in the day with my good pals Mark Lye and the late, great Payne Stewart. Struggler's Blues. We all go through it. You know, I've been a pretty good ball striker my whole career, and I think one of the strengths of my game has been my driving. I've been pretty good off the tee. I hit a lot of fairways. But I always know that my first drive of the day is going to be a good one in comfort, luxury, and in style because I'm going to and from the golf course in my Lexus GX460. I've been a brand ambassador of Lexus now for over 30 years, and in my opinion, it's the best vehicle on the road today. Now, I may have had a few body parts replaced over the years, but that's just in my 65-year-old body. My Lexus needs nothing but routine maintenance, and that's just the way I like it. All right, I'm happy now to be joined by Global Golf Post's Ron Green, and Ron, first I want to talk a little bit about the article you wrote on Jay Monahan a couple of weeks ago. Very interesting article where you basically talked about how Jay has led the the sports comeback amidst this pandemic and how good a job he's done. T- tell us a little bit about the, the genesis of that article. Well, just well, thank you for what you said about it. And I think... As I was looking around, and it was about the time that the NBA and Major League Baseball were restarting their seasons, and you know Jay had been asked at a couple press conferences about had any other leagues reached out to him, and you know not tooting his own horn, but answering the question said you know he talked to Adam Silver of the NBA, he talked to Rob Manfred from Major League Baseball, they had looked at what the tour had done and tried to you know. Areas that might overlap. What did you learn? What did you do? How have you adjusted? And, you know, it just got me thinking that while NASCAR came back about the same time, the PGA Tour was first out, really. And obviously, it took whatever, 91 days before they got up and running again. But it was a huge step. And I think Jay Monahan's leadership through it, talking to players, talking to people who work around him, how, they, how he approached it, and how he was willing to. Put, this, put the tour back out there with all of the various protocols in place, understanding that the system they have was not going to be perfect, but they were going to continually work to make it better and better and safer and safer for everybody. It's, it's a pretty bold step. Uh, you had to have to believe there were some sleepless nights as he was thinking about it, but I just, I think he, you know, I guess great leaders defined by. Uh, big moments and what they do, and this was huge for Jay. I mean, he had no chance to enjoy the multi-billion-dollar media rights deal that the tour just signed uh, right around the Players Championship because then all of a sudden this pandemic hit, shut everything down, and he had to go into a whole other realm. And I just think you know he's done such a good job with leading this thing and being out front, listening to the people around him, and and yet I mean he's the guy who has to make the decisions, and it feels like he's hit the right notes. Well, it was a bold step, and it's interesting because as a PGA Tour player and Champions Tour player, we're all independent contractors. We don't have to deal 
or I should say Jay doesn't have to deal with owners and trying to placate the owners and the franchise franchisees and the players and and it was it was uncharted territory going amidst this pandemic to restart the PGA tour and I'm proud of the fact that Jay's been the go-to guy from all these other sports commissioners reaching out and asking him how he's done it. Uh, I played in the Ally Challenge a couple weeks ago, which was the restart on the Champions Tour, and and I, I am so impressed, Ron, with how they went about uh, the very systematic testing of each player, of each caddy. You couldn't get to the golf course before you got your negative uh, uh, test back, and I think the Ally Challenge Champions Tour only had one positive uh, uh, case, and he couldn't play in that tournament. But it's been it's really been interesting, and I'm proud of the fact that everything has gone so smoothly. Well, yeah, I think it's probably been smoother than anybody realized. I mean, if we go back whatever eight, nine, ten weeks ago when they were restarting. I mean, there were plenty of people saying this was a bad idea. We need to just hold off for a little while. But I mean, they took all the precautions and talked to the right people and, you know, tried to make it as safe as possible. And, you know, you hear a lot of talk about the bubble, and there is something of a bubble out there. But uh, you know, it, it was filled with uncertainty. And, and when you know, the first little batch of positives popped up, everybody – I don't want to say panic, but everybody got very concerned about what's this going to mean. Is it going to shut them all down? But they had a structure in place to deal with these issues, and the players understood it going in. And, uh, you know, I mean, Nick Watney will be the guy who sort of recognized for being the first positive test, but I, I think it allowed the tour and what Jay's put together to to adapt to this. And, and all right, here's how we're going to handle it. Here's where we go from there. And I think it's what are they, two weeks in now? It probably is, you know, like a way of life now. I mean, guys know, all right, I'm going to go play. i got to go get my uh, test done. I know some players talk about they like to arrive on Monday evening now instead of Tuesday morning because they can get their test done and be free, ready to go on Tuesday. Um, I don't guess the test ever gets any more comfortable, but, uh, you know, there's, there's <laughs> a, I would take a reassurance that uh, it's all going well. And, you know, and here we are. We've got Wyndham Championship this week and then off into the playoffs. And, uh I mean, it's rolled along really, really well. What I appreciate about Jay as a as a commissioner is he's not afraid to sit in that big chair. He's not afraid to talk directly to the players uh, and answer the tough questions from the media, the writers, you, the tournament directors, the corporations who who take title of these events, the CEOs. I, I I find him to be such a good communicator with everybody. Uh, because he's honest, and let's face it, he grew up in the game of golf like like so many of us did, and and he loves the game so much, and he's so proud to be the commissioner of the tour that that he's he's totally vested in this position, and I'm I think we're all lucky to have him in that position. So let me let me transition quickly to the PGA Championship and Colin Morikawa. I assume you watched that finish and how 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 impressive Colin was for what is he twenty three twenty four the shots he hit down the stretch it was it was really impressive. Yeah, I mean, I've never played in a major championship, but I'm smart enough to know that shooting one twenty nine on the weekend in a major is pretty good. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it's really you know, good. Way, you know, I mean, you've got that whole leaderboard, and as somebody who's 
lives in the South and has seen his share of NASCAR racing, the leaderboard sort of like one of those races at Talladega or Daytona where they're all stacked up running right together 200 miles an hour, and you're just trying to figure out how it's going to end and sort of stuff out. And that's the way that leaderboard was for a while, but guys just are so envious and so respectful the way he hits iron shots. I mean, he's just uh, – it's a beautiful thing to watch. But more than that, I mean, his maturity and the way he seemed to carry himself through the back nine there – needing to hit the shots. I mean, when he sort of semi-chunked it on 14 and left it short there, you know, my first thought is, oh, here comes a bogey, and he chips it in, and then he goes and hits that shot on 16, which will be the shot that, at least for now, will define his career. I mean, he's just, uh, what was it, Paul Casey said, he's got he's got a almost an instant maturity, or it's, it's an uncommon maturity for a guy that young. I mean, he just, he looked like he belonged there, and he knew he belonged, and, uh, you know, he's just getting started. Was he played 29 events and he's won three of them? Got as many major yeah. championships as he has missed cuts. I know it's it's pretty impressive to watch. But let me just, since you and I are both now in the media, I should say I've got one foot in the media and still in one in the uh, in the world of playing. I think we have to be careful before we anoint him as the next Tiger or the next Jack. Uh, as as you well know, when a player. Bursts, off, bursts out of the scene and is off to such a great start. I always look at the intangibles, and I'd love to get your opinion on this. I think when a young player comes out and he just, boy, he just takes the world by storm and everybody starts putting him up on that pedestal next to Jack and Tiger, I think what, what how his future is determined by his representation, his management. Uh, are they going to send him all over the world to capitalize on his success the distractions in his life. I always tell young players that they need to focus on continuing to win and not on endorsements because every player that turns pro has dreams of winning major championships and being the next Jack or the next Tiger. They don't worry about their next deal. And I see a lot of young players, and I can speak from experience now being 66, I see a lot of players' careers derailed because all they worry about is the next endorsement deal and getting another zero on the contract. Do you see that or have seen that in the last 15 or 20 years with players? Yeah, I think so. I think especially given the money that's out there now that they play for that, you know, I mean, you can make a really good career by finishing 20th on tour 15 times during the year. And, you know, you don't have to win. And I think there are some players who, it's really, you know, it's a job. They do something well, and they, they see it as a job and a way to, you know, have a really good income. And I don't know that they see it the way a, a Tiger or, or a Phil or somebody like that, where they're, it's the trophy that matters. And, and I think, you're right, I think there are cases through the years where guys win a big tournament and then they go cash in and suddenly, you know, the, their world never stops and all they're doing is sort of chasing after money that uh, has been offered to them and, and they – come to regret it later. I mean, my sense is Colin Morikawa has, has a very, uh, I don't know, sort of a stable mindset. He knows who he is, what he wants to do, and how he wants to get there. And, yeah, it's tempting to just sort of say he's going to be the next great one, especially when he's won and played the way he has in, in this year or so he's been out there. Uh, you know, I, I think it, while there's that part of it, I also think he, you look at that leaderboard Sunday, and it's full of the Bryson DeChambeau's and the Dustin Johnson's and guys who can just hit it a mile. 
And he's a guy who ranks, I think, 110th in driving distance. Who wins? He plays more, but I would call sort of a classic style of golf, and compared to the modern, just bombs away and go from there. And, and I think over time, I think that will serve him really well. I, I think he understands how he plays and how to play the game. And I think there's a balance there with him that, uh, you know, it didn't seem to b- bother him that Matthew Wolf and Victor Hovland seemed to get more of the attention initially coming out. And now, obviously, uh, you know, we're all singing the praises of Colin Morikawa. But I think he is a, I mean, he is a special talent, it looks like. I mean, and you listen to, Tony Finnell, Brooks Kepka, and guys like that talk about him. I mean, I mean, it's pretty glowing praise they have for him. And and uh, you know, what is he? Three years old. I mean, nice future he's got. You mentioned uh, the final round. There were of the PGA Championship. There were 17 players within four shots of the lead, and bombers like DJ, Dustin Johnson, Xander Schauffele, Matthew Wolf, Tony Finnell, Brooks Kepka. There, there was a murderer's row that was so fun to watch. The players surge forward and drop back, and and it was just great to see Colin Morikawa just kind of pick his way around the golf course. And I love Harding Park, and anybody that's played there knows exactly what I'm talking about. But the one player I want to bring up in terms of expectation uh, and and kind of distractions, I hate to do it because I love the kid, but Jordan Spieth. When he came out, he won three majors, and all he needs is one more major, the PGA Championship, to compete the career Grand Slam, and only five players in the history of the game have ever done that. But but I, I, I have a feeling, and I see Jordan from time to time on the course when I'm doing TV, I just think he's suffering from expectation overload. To me, I, he seems a little desperate to to win again because I think everybody looks at him as, hey, you're the next golden boy. You got to be the one to do it. And I think that maybe it, it's just self-imposed exile, rather than by you and me and the TV people and the golf fans in the world. And I just hope we don't see that from Colin or Fowler or or any other young player that has that has huge potential. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. Uh... The Wyndham Championship is just up the road from me here this week, and uh, Jordan Spieth is in the field there. And I was looking at guys who were playing potential stories, and and you you look at Jordan, and and he's a he's a guy I want to go write about, and yet I think about well, I know he doesn't want to keep answering the same questions, and keep they keep getting fired at him, but he also understands. I mean, I mean he's so good for so long, and what's it been now? Three years since Burke Billing told Michael Greller to go get that ball out of the hole and all that. And <laughs> yeah, you just watch him, and, and you know, it's great fun to watch him because uh, he doesn't eliminate your television job, but he does a lot of it for you by just because he gives you the run and commentary with every shot he gets. And I, I've always loved listening to him and watching him play. And, but it's just, you know, it just feels like there's such a, yeah, there's there's a barrier there that he he's almost trying too hard, and and uh, you know uh, there's some phrase I'm like uh, try less or something like that. Somebody once said sometimes would help. You kind of wonder if Jordan could just feels like he needs just a big exhale, and you know, and we want to put all these pressures on. I mean, Ricky Fowler's another one. You mentioned him. There's a guy who suddenly missed four cuts since the. Uh, the tour restarted and I know he's going through a swing change, but you know, Ricky Fowler's had a pretty darn good career, but now we're all sort of asking like, Hmm, what's going on there? Now, now Colin Marcar, there will be a point where 
you know, suddenly he's not making the putts or, you know, game gets off a little bit and we'll start to wonder about him. But uh, I I think as long as they're true, I'll I'll give Steve this. He just stayed with Cameron McCormick and trust what they're doing. And, and, you know, I would imagine at this point, if you're Jordan Spieth, you want to see something change. I, I think there's a fine line between trying too hard and 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 not trying at all. And and I've been in that position before. I, I love Jordan Spieth. I love the way that he carries himself, the way he talks to the media, and the way that he performs. I'm going to make a prediction. I think he's going to win another major. He's going to win at least one more major in his future. I believe in his, his game that much. Same with Fowler. I think that the way they handle themselves and the way they carry themselves – is so impressive. The other guy that I worry so much about is another lovely guy on tour, Tony Finau, who I think he has a great coach in Boyd Summerhays. He's got great representation. And I know we all talk about when's Tony going to break through and win another event. He's only got one win in Puerto Rico on his resume. But I believe that when you're knocking on that door a lot, like Tony has been, I think it's going to break through. I go back to the days when David Duvall was my little brother when he came out on tour. And he he was talking about how frustrated he was because he wasn't winning. And I played a lot with him. I said, David, the way you drive it, the way you hit it and putt it, just be patient. And boom, we saw him break through, win a bunch of tournaments, and ascend all the way to number number one player in the world. So I just hope these players and their agents and their caddies and all their sponsors just help them relax and help them calm down and quit trying to, too hard because they've got it all. They've, they've got it all, and they just have to let it happen. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was interesting to watch Finau. He looked so relaxed out there Sunday, which I think is the first step. I mean, and he gets off with a good start, and you know, sometimes you just get beat. I, I do think... You know, you can look statistically, his short game is probably what's held him back from that shot or two. But, yeah, you get to that point. I can remember dating myself way back to when the Kemper Open was played at Quail Hollow back in the 70s, I guess, and walking by a hole and seeing Tom Watson hit a two shot there. And at that point, there was all this talk about Watson couldn't win. He's a guy with a lot of talent, but he couldn't break through. And I was, I remember thinking, boy, if that guy could ever get – get through what he's, where he is right now, he could be pretty good. Well, he got through it all right. And uh, I'm not saying Tony Finau is going to be Tom Watson, but I, I, I do think, I mean, every time Finau gets in that position, he puts himself there a lot. You know what's going through his mind. And, and one of these days, sometimes it's just a matter of maybe it falls to you. Maybe sometimes you don't have to do anything special. Somebody else sort of gives it to you. One way or the other, I think when he wins, I, I can see him having a, a good little run there. Well, talent, I've always said this, talent never goes away. It may hide. It may uh, play hide-and-seek with you, and it's up to you to go out and find it. Ron, thanks so much for taking the time to joining us again, for joining us again, and uh, we we will talk to you down the road. You've been here before, you know what to do. Keep your head on straight, don't let them get to you. Put a smile on your face. Get rid of that frown, gotta suck it up, it's no time to melt down. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. The fans are fired up, making sure they show it. They're out in loud, not your-
I'm a sports nut, and if you're anything like me, the first thing you do every morning is grab your phone and check to see what may have happened overnight in the world of sports. But Mondays are for golf. Once the weekend is over and the golf tournaments around the world are complete, whether they're on the professional tours or in the amateur world, I know I'll find what I need on Global Golf Post. It comes to my email every Monday morning delivering everything I need to know as I dissect what happened over that weekend. It also offers insight and analysis from experienced writers and contributors who are as committed to the game as I am. And it's pretty easy to sign up. Just log on to globalgolfpost.com and you're done. And for even more great content, you can subscribe to Global Golf Post Plus, which takes a deeper dive into the world of golf, exploring the people, places, and things that makes this game we love so intoxicating. And with Global Golf Post Plus, there's no advertising. Use the promo code JAKESTAKES when you sign up to receive 30% off your monthly subscription to Global Golf Post Plus. So remember, globalgolfpost.com. It's everything you're going to need to know about this game of golf. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. The fans are fired up. It was really cool after Jim Furyk's win at the Ally Challenge with Mike Cowan or Fluff on his bag. I won the Buick Open 40 years ago that week with Fluff on my bag. Our first win on tour, his his first, my first, and our first together. And it was really cool. I went out and watched the last couple of holes when Jim won. He hit a terrific shot on 18. Had about a six iron, I think, about 180 yards, and the pin was back left. And he just flagged it, knocked it in there about, oh, six, eight feet. Meanwhile, Brett Quigley, who was one back coming into the last hole, hit it into the bunker, hit a poor bunker shot, made bogey. So Jim had really uh, just a walk-in. He could have knocked the put in for a three-shot win. But So I had a chance to talk to Mike on the 18th green when Jim was receiving his check and all the accolades on 18. And here was that little brief encounter. So I'm here on the 18th green with uh, Mike Cowan after he and Furyk just won the Ally Challenge. How do you feel, Mike? I feel elated. <laughs> 40 years ago. It feels good, you know. And I, I, I got to tell you that a lot of the way around this round, I was thinking about 1980. You and me, we won the our first tournament together uh-huh. in our first tournament of our career. The yeah. Buick Open in 1980. Yeah. In fact, we made a putt on the last hole. Furyk couldn't make a birdie on the last hole, but you and I did. Well, you did. know what they say <laughs> in, in, the, in the game I play in at home? Never make a putt. You don't have to. <laughs> Isn't that true? Isn't that kind of like wasting one? Uh, kind of. I would tell you, I was out there on 18, and I watched the second shot. What you guys hit? Six nine. That was an impressive shot. Yes, it was. But you didn't have much room over that bunker. Well, no, but we we picked a we picked a pretty good landing area, and he he hit it within a couple of yards, and boom, tight. Is there pressure on you to do the addition and subtraction correctly? Is there any pressure on that, or do you have that down by now? Well, I have it pretty much down, but we always have done yardage together, and. If he makes a mistake, I catch him, and if I make a mistake, he catches me. So we got each other's backs, kind of. Do you ever round up or round down? I is... do not. 
but but I've heard that there's Lynn Strickler used to do that with Payne Stewart. One, there's only one guy I know that's ever done that, and that's Lynn Strickler. You know, <laughs> and, and he he told Payne, you, you know, the exact thing. He says, "Hey, I either round him up or down. You guys just ain't that good." <laughs> you could have said a bad word. Amy would have bleeped it out. Mike, congratulations. So great to see you in the winter circle again. And Jim, his first event on the Champions Tour, I think it was a pretty worthwhile week. Now, heading into Harding Park next week. Yeah, I, you know, he, he played very solid golf two out of the three days. Actually, Friday's round was a little on the scratchy side, but he scored good, nicely. Uh, but the last two days have been pretty, pretty solid. And, uh, you know, I'd like to see him take that same solid game and go win him another major i think one thing people don't understand about a four-round tournament certainly you can play three really good ones but there's always going to be that one round where you kind of have to get away with one yeah. and yesterday even though it was 66 that might have been that day you made some great up and downs or i should say jim and you made some great up and downs and great saves we made a couple of bombs yesterday as well so nice to see some long ones going in uh, and just nice to see him hitting the ball as solid as he did these last two days. But, again, I'm going to go back to that gutty shot on 18, the 54th hole. That was pretty pure. Yes, it was. It was, uh, I don't know, kind of icing on the cake, they say. Do you want to say hi to Famous Amos? She's going to edit this. Famous Amos? Hello, Amy J. Happy editing. and Happy birthday. She just turned 40. I've already said that to don't her. Don't you remember? Yeah, of course I remember. She puked on me when I, I held do. her over my head. I do remember that very, very well. Oh my yes, God. I do. You've been here before, you know what to do. Keep your head on straight, don't let them get to you. Put a smile on your face, get rid of that. Hey, uh, did you see the fluff one again? Who? Mike Cowan. Oh, you mean Uncle Mike a beard. What? Yeah, that's his real nickname. What are you talking about? Yeah, he caddied for Peter Jacobson for like 300 years, and uh, his kids used to call him that. Fluff's kids? What? No. Why would Fluff's own kids call him Uncle? I don't know, man. You said it. No, Peter Jacobson's kids. Uh, okay, so what made you think of Jacobson? Well, uh, he won the Allied Challenge two weeks ago, caddying for Jim Furyk at a Warwick Hills Country Club in Flint, Michigan. Uh, I saw that. What does that have to do with Jacobson? Well, it just so happens that uh, he won the Buick Open on that same course with Jacobson 40 years ago. 40 Wait, so Fluff... Uncle Micah Beard. S sorry, uh, Uncle Micah Beard. No, no, Uncle Micah Beard. Uh, Mr. Cowan has been caddying for over 40 years. Indeed, he has... How is that possible? Some say it's dedication to and knowledge of the game, but true fans know the truth. Which is, it's all in the mustache. What? Yeah, his mustache gives him supernatural caddy powers. From Jacobson to Woods to Furick, the colors may change, but the stash remains. That sounds weird, man. Yeah, apparently Jerry Garcia blessed Uncle Mike's mustache at a Grateful Dead concert, and the rest is history. Wow, you, you really make golf more exciting than I thought it was. Yeah, well, somebody has to. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's Jake's Takes podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Peter Jacobson. These have been my takes. What are yours? <laughs>